So last week we talked about worship and we went into what that looks like. Well, this week we want to hit another foundation. And so this week's foundation is talking about this right here, the Word of God. Now, I know that sounds like something, well, yeah, Gabriel, everybody knows the Word of God. Like we're in church for a reason. Like we all have God's Word and we all read God's Word. And and I'm sure most of us do, but, but here's the problem. The problem is it's not just a matter of reading God's Word. The Bible says we have to consume God's word. Jesus says you have to consume it. What does that mean? It means that that we devour it, that we bring it in and make it a part of who we are, right? And so how does that look? And I want to look just quickly before we get into all of that. Hebrews chapter 5. I was I've got a scripture that I want to use today in Hebrews 4 in just a few minutes, but in doing that I was kind of studying the book of Hebrews and and, and one of the thing about the books of the book of Hebrews is the writer uh, of this book, he was writing to a group of Jews that had started to kind of fall away. They had gotten very apathetic and very cold and very ritualistic in their relationship with God. And so whenever persecution came, a lot of them began to back away from Christianity. And so the writer is writing to them and he's telling them some stuff. And one of the things that he's trying to help them understand is he says in Hebrews chapter 5, he says that you've been believers... For a long time, but the problem is you're not a teacher. You should be teaching people. Instead, I'm having to teach you the basic things of the faith. Sometimes we have to go back to the basic things of the faith, like worship and Bible reading and prayer. Sometimes we have to go back to those things because if in our life we can become very ritualistic and very religious and reading our Bible becomes checking a box on our phone. Right. Reading our Bible because becomes something that we do that it, it gets to midnight and we're like, oh, I got to read my Bible for the day. And you scan through it real fast and then put it up. That's not relationship. That's like walking up to your spouse and saying, hey, listen, I haven't talked to you all day, uh, but I'm about to go to bed. So let's get this in real quick. What happened today? I got I got I got 20 minutes. Tell me everything that happened in your day. I'll tell you everything that happened in my day and we'll be done. That's not how relationships work. Right. That's how fights start, fellas, just FYI. And so Paul tells us that 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 God's word is where we can grow. God's word is where we can mature and where we can develop, that it's important that we're getting into God's word and not just us getting into it, but we're getting God's word into us. Right. So in in second Timothy, chapter three, verses 16 and 17, uh, the Bible says this all scripture, all of the book, the whole thing, Genesis to the maps. Right. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Verse 17 says, so that the man of God may be complete. That word complete means mature and equipped for every good work. You know, a big problem in our life today is that we have abandoned God's word. In, in, the, in our nation, we've abandoned God's word. In churches, we've abandoned God's word. What we want to do is we want to go through and we want to pick out all the parts that make us feel good. And we want to take all the token scriptures and everything that, that looks good on a t-shirt. We like those parts of God's word. We don't like the parts that show us what we're doing is wrong. We don't like the parts that help us to do better. We just want the ones that make us feel good. Yesterday, I, I had the privilege of doing a wedding... And in the wedding, I used Galatians 5, 
22 and 23, which is the fruits of the Spirit. And I got to thinking, I got to thinking about that. And I thought, you know, fruits of the Spirit, this is a popular verse. A lot of people know the fruits of the Spirit. A lot of people can quote them to you and they can tell you all about them. But the, the problem is very few people actually live the fruits of the Spirit. We want to talk about the fruits of the Spirit, but what we don't want to talk about is the fact that we have to allow the Holy Spirit to work through us. We don't want to talk about patience whenever our, our, our husband or our wife is driving, our, uh, driving us crazy. We don't want to talk about, you know, faithfulness. We don't want to talk about goodness. There's some things we don't want to talk about in those fruits. And what happens is we get these token scriptures, but the token scriptures don't change our life unless we allow it to happen. So today I want to talk about that and what that means. And so I want to take you to Hebrews chapter 4. This is going to be our main verse for a few minutes. And, and then I'm going to give you some practical steps. And then we'll be done and we'll pray and we'll go home. And hopefully you'll take this word and you'll use it and you'll put it in your life. So here's what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. Now remember the writer of Hebrews, we're not exactly sure who it is. Some people think it could be Paul. Some people think it could be Apollos. Some people think it could be someone else. But he's writing to a church, to a group of people that has become apathetic. Right? And so here's what he's saying to him. He's trying to pump them up. He's trying to get them going. He's trying to kick them in the tail a little bit and say, let's go, let's do this. And so here's what he says. He says, the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. The word of God is alive and powerful and it's sharp. And it exposes things and it cuts things and divides things in our lives. So I want to I just hang out here for just a few minutes. What does it mean to be alive? To be alive, um, it, it's not just a matter of being in hibernation, right? This is something that is, that is alive. It's moving. It's active in our life. As a matter of fact, here's what it means by being alive. It means that, that Jesus is the very word of God. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and then 10 through 14, I'll read these to you. It says, in the beginning, the word already existed. Now notice, they capitalize word in there because John is talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus and he uses Jesus and the word interchangeably because John has this understanding that everything in this book is about Jesus. It's all him. And John says, in the very beginning was the word. The word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. This word is not dead. This word is not just a bunch of pages and a bunch of words, uh, words typed out, text typed out. This word is alive because this word is Jesus. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth that results from human passion or plan, but from a birth that comes from God. Verse 14, this is so cool. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the father's one and only son. It's important for you to understand, first of all, today that the word is alive because the word is Jesus. 
And when we consume the word, we consume Jesus. This isn't just a bunch of stories about a bunch of dead guys doing miracles and and killing giants and walking through Red Seas. This is the story of Jesus Christ. From beginning to the end, this is his story. This is his life. And this is how he loves us and how he's faithful to us. And even though we walk away, he still pursues us. That's his story. And we need to consume it. We need to bring it in. We need to stop looking at it as just a matter of a book and start looking at it as a relationship. My wife and I are not the most romantic people in the world. She probably more than I am. But one of the things that we do every so often is we'll write each other little notes. And, of course, she throws the ones I write away. I mean, no, she, we, we write each other little notes. And in those notes, I can look at that note. I can pick up that note and I say, oh, look at this. It's a piece of paper. Look at this. There's words on this paper. But whenever I read a note that my wife writes or she reads a note that I write, we're not just reading words. We're reading into our relationship. Does that make sense? That it's more than just words. That's why sometimes people, I I laugh about this, and it's not pastor appreciation time, so I can say this, um, and you won't get too offended yet. Uh, But here's the thing. Every year in October, all the churches across the nation, they do pastor appreciation. And our church does it just like everybody else does. And people will get us little cards, and and, and they'll, they'll give us little cards. Here's the thing. Can I just help you real quick? Don't buy me a card. Don't waste your money on a card if you're not going to write in it. Like, people will give me a card, and I open the card, and it's just printed in there, Pastor Appreciation. Thank you for being my pastor. And I think, Hallmark wrote this card, not the person that gave it to me. This doesn't, this doesn't mean anything to me, right? Now, if you want to write me a little note on a piece of paper, save your money, that, that means something to me. Does that make sense? Do you see the difference in the two things? It makes sense when it's personal. This is personal. This is alive. You giving me a card from Hallmark that says happy birthday doesn't mean anything to me. So at our house, we started writing on dollar bills. I just wrote, I love you, Perry. Happy birthday. There's your dollar. We don't give much, apparently. And she liked it. She threw it away. Just kidding. The second thing the Bible says is it says that the word of God, it says alive, and it says that it is powerful. That word powerful means this. It means it produces results. The Word of God produces results. Now, um, I had to cut like half the sermon out because I had a whole list, like a whole page and a half full of things that God's Word does in our life. I went ahead and cut that out because I know some of y'all are already tired. Some of y'all were at that wedding yesterday. Sophia already told me. She said, I was up. I had to be there at 8 o'clock. I didn't leave till 9 o'clock. She said, cut the sermon short so I can go home and take a nap. I said, yes, ma'am. I was trying to help her out. Now I'm going to be in trouble. So I, I decided to cut it short, but here's a couple of things I want you to remember about God's Word. We sing this song called Waymaker for a reason. It's to remind you that He still does the things that He did in the Bible. He's still doing those things today. If we'll just open up our eyes, like Pastor Jonathan said, and pay attention to what He's doing. It was by His Word that the world was created. Did you know God didn't put His hands on anything except for me and you? The only thing he created with his hands was man. Everything else was spoken into existence. 
God spoke and there was light. God spoke, there was earth. God spoke, there was water. God spoke, there were animals. What's the difference between you and an animal? God spoke them into existence. He made you with his hands. That's a different subject, but I just want to let you know that you're special today. It was with his words that he raised Lazarus from the dead. He didn't go into the tomb and touch Lazarus. He did that with some people, but he didn't do that with Lazarus. He spoke him into life. God's word is powerful. It creates. It brings back life. It was with God's word that he healed the sick. Jesus spoke to people and they were healed. Uh, it It was with his words that Jesus not only defended, but forgave and transformed the woman that was caught in adultery. Y'all remember this woman, maybe if you've, if you've been in Sunday school or church any period of time, you may remember the story that a woman was caught literally in the act of adultery. These religious leaders went and grabbed her and brought her. Now, why in the world were they there? I don't know. Right? Think about how creepy they were. So they go and they grab her and they bring her to Jesus. And they said, this woman was caught in adultery. The law says we got a stoner. Jesus doesn't jump up and grab her. Jesus doesn't put his hands between her and the, and the men. Instead, Jesus just begins to speak. And he says, well, whichever one of you doesn't have any sin, pick up the first rock and throw it. And the Bible says they all left because they were all full of sin. And then Jesus spoke to her. And he forgave her and told her to go and don't do that anymore. It's words are, that are powerful. It was with his words that he calmed the storm when the disciples were freaking out. Jesus didn't get up and stick his hand in the water. He didn't take a staff out and poke it in the water. He just spoke and the storm calmed down. His word is powerful. It was when the demoniac came up and said, I've got a legion of demons inside of me and I'm broken and I'm dying and I'm cutting myself, trying to free myself. I'm living in the tombs and I'm going crazy and I'm howling at the moon at night like an animal and I need help. And Jesus speaks to the demons and they leave the man. And the Bible says that the man's mind was set right. Why? Because his word is powerful. When we start thinking about this word, we can't think of it as as text on a page. We've got to think of it as alive and powerful. That what I read in this word can transform my life. What I read in this word can give me peace in my heart. What I read in this word can change my loved ones and heal the sick and raise the dead. This word has to become powerful to me. It can't just be text on a page. The next thing he says is he says that it's sharp. It's sharp like a two-edged sword. Listen, a blade will get your attention. Amen? I can't tell you how many times I've cut myself. Quite a few times. But I can tell you one good story about cutting yourself. What? So the other day, (laughs) my wife made the mistake. Hold on, i got to compose myself for a second. Because this is one of those dumb stories. My wife made the mistake of, first of all, telling me that she did something stupid. Like, why would you tell your preacher husband that you did something stupid? And I told her, I was like, that's going to make its way into a sermon someday. I, little did I know it was today. And she told me yesterday. But she said, she just walked up to me and volunteered this information. She's like, you see this, this scab on my chin? I was like, yeah, what happened? She said, well, the other day I was cleaning and I had a handful of sharp knives. And I just decided to get something out of the cabinet with my hand full of sharp knives. And for some reason, when I was taking my hand out of the cabinet, I stabbed myself in the face with a handful of sharp knives. Yeah, we're laughing at you. A knife is going to get your attention. 
She forgot she had knives in her hands. She remembered real quick when she's drawing blood out of her face, right? So a knife is going to get your attention. This word should get our attention. If you read this word and you ain't getting nothing out of it, A, you're reading the genealogies probably. You need to move on. B, you're not paying attention. There's good stuff in here. There's good stuff in the genealogies. Listen, there was one place in the genealogies I was reading through them. That's a lie. I was listening through them. I was listening through them. And I found out one dude, and he did like really cool stuff in the genealogies. And then it went back to who begat who and begat who. And then, then I, was, I was lost again. But there for a minute, I was like, man, there was some gold in that genealogy. Not much. Not much. But there was a little bit. Here's what the surgical tool will do. Here's what the Bible does for us. It divides our soul and our spirit. The, the words there are um, ruma and, and psyche. In other words, it, it can go in and split even the parts of you. Your emotions, psyche meaning your mind, will, and emotions, and ruma meaning your spirit. Sometimes we get our emotions and our feelings caught up in our spirit and they begin to get mixed together. And we can't tell what is me and my emotion versus what is God trying to do through me. And we get these things intertwined. And it's the word of God that's a sharp sword that can come in and split what's right from what's feeling and emotion. Too many times we live according to our feelings. We let our feelings rule what we do. I don't feel like being married. I don't feel like loving my spouse. I don't feel like loving my kids. I don't feel like going to work. The Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. You better get your butt to work and work hard. Sometimes what we do is we allow our feelings. Well, pastor, I woke up today and I just didn't feel like going to church. What was God going to do in your life at church? Oh, man, I forgot I'm on live video. And you guys didn't come to church today. (laughs) That stinks, man. Try to get all those words back. (laughs) Too late. So anyways, the word divides what we feel versus what we know is right. Right? You got it? It divides. The Bible says it judges. Um, When we were reading it earlier, it said it it exposes. That word expose means to judge. It exposes our thoughts and desires or attitudes. If you were to keep on reading in verse 13, it says it lays us bare and naked. I mean, naked and open in front of everything. That word open there is actually a wrestling term, which I think is cool um, that the writer understood wrestling terms. It was a wrestling term that you get someone essentially in, in some kind of chokehold or, or headlock to the point that you can open them up. They are completely open and sprawled out and completely submitted, and, and everybody can see what's going on, what they've got. It's a pretty cool little word, but that's exactly what the Word of God does to me. When I read God's Word... It exposes areas of my life where I've been living according to my feelings and not according to His Spirit. It exposes areas of my life where I've had the wrong thoughts or the wrong attitudes, and it completely opens them up. And it's not opened up so everybody else can see them. It's opened up so God can see them and I can see them, really. Because sometimes I bury things deep down inside, and I don't realize that it's the thoughts inside of me that are affecting my actions. And so when I read God's Word, it begins to expose everything that's inside of me. 
So I need to end today. So I'm going to give you three challenges on how we can make this word alive, how we can make it powerful, how we can make it sharp, and do some work in our life to transform us. So the first challenge today is we need to invite the Holy Spirit into our Bible reading. We need to stop having Bible reading, period. You need to stop it. Stop it. Stop saying, this is my Bible reading time. No, this is your communication with God time. This is my time for the Holy Spirit to teach me something. It's not just about, can I check off all the boxes on my Bible reading plan? That's good. But listen, the end of the day, it's got to be you and God. It's got to be my time with Jesus. And I've got to go spend some time with him. I've got to go hear what he's got to say. He needs to mentor me today because I'm going through some stuff. I got some things going on at work. I got some things going on in my family. And if I don't get some mentoring from the Father, I'm going to be in trouble. So let me go spend time with Jesus and see what he's got to say to me. And if he tells you genealogies, then you just got to listen to it, man. And just move on to the next chapter. Because he'll tell you something else. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, it says this, But it was to us that God revealed these things. How did he reveal things? By his Spirit. For his Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. I want to know the secrets of God. My knowledge and intellect is not very good, right? Like, like I'm not that smart. So if I'm going to know something, it's got to be because God gave it to me. I need to know all the dark, the, the dark secrets. Nope, nope. All the deep secrets of God. And those are revealed by the Holy Spirit. John 16, 13 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own, but He will tell you what He has heard. He will tell you about the future. So the Holy Spirit wants to reveal some stuff to you. He wants to speak to you through the Word. John 6, 63. The Spirit alone, this is Jesus speaking, the Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Now something he says there that's a little bit different, and this is what, something I want to get to, is, is he, when he says words there, there's two Greek words for the word word. I know it's confusing. One word is called logos, right? Logos. Logos is the written. It's the, the plain, the, the normal text. But there's another word called rhema. Rhema means the revelation of what is written. Does that make sense? So, so I can read the text. I can read the text. And, and I can read the definition of the text. I can understand what the text says. But do I get the message of the text? That's a different story. Is there something being revealed to me through that text? Have you ever noticed that there's been times whenever you've read a verse of Scripture, maybe multiple times, and, and, and it didn't really click, it didn't really click, and then all of a sudden one day you read this verse of Scripture and it just jumped off the page at you? What happened is you went from Logos to Logos to Rhema. Rhema is where it was revealed to you. How did that happen? It happened because the Holy Spirit in that time, in that moment in your life, wanted to reveal something new to you that you needed. We need to learn how to transition and understand the difference between Logos and Rhema. Logos is good. Ramus is better, right? We've got to have him revealing things to me. So when Jesus says the very words I've spoken to you are spirit and life, he says the very Rhema I'm speaking is spirit and life. Your life can be transformed right here if we invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us through his word. 
The second thing I want to challenge you to do is to hide His Word in your heart. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In other words, David's saying, I don't want to sin anymore. I need my life to be transformed. How do I make that happen? I'm going to take your word. I'm going to hide it in my heart. The, the word hidden there, I've hidden your word, it means to treasure something. I don't know about you, but if I had a treasure, I would go check on it all the time. Right? Like, have you ever thought about that? If you had a treasure, so I've got a secret drawer in my house. I'm not going to tell you where it is because I know you want to know, but I got a secret drawer in my house, and that's where I put all my cash. And so if I ever get cash for something, I take that, I stick it in my secret drawer, and I don't tell anybody about it, except right now I'm telling you, but I don't tell anybody about my secret drawer. Why? Because it's my secret. It's my treasure. But every so often, I will go in to my secret drawer, and I'll open up my secret drawer, and I'll check and make sure all my cash is still there. And I'll take all the bills, and I put them, make sure they're all in an envelope. And I make sure all their faces are facing the same direction because I don't want them kissing. That's weird. And so I put them all just like that in my secret drawer. And so every so often I have to go back. I have to go back. I have to check on my treasure. (laughs) Y'all are laughing like y'all don't do it too. (laughs) What kind of psycho puts their money facing each other? It's so weird. The same is true with his word being hidden in my heart. It's a matter of I'm treasuring it in my heart. I need to go back and check on it every so often. I need to go make sure it's still there. I need to go back and and see what it is that I'm hiding in my heart. This is the difference between memorizing and meditating. Anybody can memorize scripture, right? Anybody can memorize scripture. The Bible says that Satan memorizes scripture. When Satan is tempting Jesus, when he takes him up on on top of the temple, he says, Jump, jump off the temple because the word says like Satan begins to quote the word of God to Jesus, who is the word of God. Satan can memorize scripture. So the fact that you can memorize scripture puts you on par with Satan. Way to go. You made it that far. So then there's another level that we've got to get because meditation is better than memorization. Memorization is good. Meditation is better. Right. What is meditation? Meditation is hiding that word in my heart. It's taking that word. It's chewing on that word. Um, some, some things actually say, uh, some translations of the word meditation, it's like a cow chewing the cud. In other words, a cow can chew on grass, swallow it, and then regurgitate it back up and chew on it some more to get even more nutrients out of it. And so it's important for us to know that we've got to learn how to meditate. I need to get the word in my life. In Joshua 1.8, it says, study the book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. God told Joshua, if you don't meditate on this, study this, get this in your heart, then it's not going to work in your life. I need to know that I'm planning the precepts and the principles in my heart and in my mind. I would rather you understand the meaning of the scripture than than know where the reference is and know it verse by verse. I mean, word by word. You need to know what that verse means. You need to understand what is God trying to teach you through that verse. You need to understand what is it that I'm trying to do? What am I trying to grasp out of this verse? And how can I hide this in my life? Proverbs 4 23 says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. What's in your heart will determine your actions. So if I can learn how to hide this in my heart, 
if I can hide this, if I can meditate on it. I don't have to know every scripture written in it. I don't have to know every reference. I don't have to know every background story. But if I can know what that scripture means, if I can know what, what he's talking about in there, and, and I can take the, the meaning, the precept, the, the understanding, the concept, and I can have that buried in my heart, then all of a sudden, out of that will my thoughts come. Out of that will my actions come. So then it becomes very easy to live for God because I've got all this stuff stored up in my heart that filters out all of my thoughts and my actions because I've got his words, his understanding operating in my life. The last challenge is this, to build your life on this. Build your life on God's word. Now I know that sounds simple and we use that, this scripture I'm about to read, we use it a lot. I know it sounds simple, but listen, most things in the Bible that sound simple are usually very, very hard. Let, let me explain one thing to you. Someone got mad one time, and they said uh, to me or my dad, somebody at, at one point in ministry, they said something about preaching the deep things of God. They were like, I want to hear some deep things. What they wanted is they wanted someone to go through the book of Revelation verse by verse and explain what the beast color hair meant, right? And who cares? Who cares? It's coming. It'll happen. I don't need to know what color hair he has. But that's what they want. They want things that will tickle their ears, things that will make them feel good. And dad, I, I never forget this as long as I live. I remember my dad saying this point blank to this person. They said, he said, you want something deep? Understand the love of God. That's the deepest thing you'll ever get in the word of God. And their thought was, no, that's simple. God loves me. But here's the idea. It's really, really deep. And it's really, really hard to understand why God would love you and why God would love me. So there are things in the Bible that seem very simple, like building my life upon the word, but are very difficult to actually do. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to read verse 21, and I'm going to skip down to 24 and 27. It's all in the same passage. If you want to go back and read it later, it's all in the same conversation that he's having He says this, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Right there is bad. Like this ain't easy. He says, just because you showed up at church doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Just because you raised your hand doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Just because you say I'm your Lord doesn't mean anything to me. Only those who actually do the will of my father will enter. uh, My father in heaven will enter. Jesus says it's not about what you say, it's about what you do, right? So then he explains how to make that work in verse 24. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds his house on solid rock. Though the rain comes and the torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the wind beats against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. I have to learn how to build my house, which is a representation of our life, on his word. It's not about building your church on the word. It's not about building your spiritual life on the word. He says your house, which is your everything. I've got to build everything on the word. I've got to build my family on the word of God. Yeah, but 
Pastor, if I tell my kid that, that what they're doing is wrong, they're going to hate me. If I tell my kids that, that, that the Bible says they can't be sleeping around, they're going to be mad at me. They're going to just do what they want to do anyway. Well, there's your problem. You care more about someone's feelings than you care about the truth. Here's even better. You care more about someone's feelings than you do about their eternal soul. Don't tell me you love your kids and you let them get away with murder. You don't love them. I got to build my business on this word. I can't be coming to church on Sunday mornings and praising God and worshiping God and then I go to my business and I'm unethical. It's not built on his word. Your business is going to fail at some point because it's built on sand. I got to build my ministry. Me, I got to build my ministry. You got to build your ministry. We all have ministry opportunities. We all have places where we minister. It's got to be built on the word of God. It's got to be built on Jesus Christ. It's got to be built on promoting him, not promoting me or my agenda. It's got to be about him all the time. I've got to build my family. I've got to build my relationships. I've got to build everything that I've got has to be founded on the word of God. If it's founded on anything else, it's going to collapse. The last thing I want to say today, in John chapter 5, verses 39 through 40. I love this verse. I think it's so cool. Jesus says this. He says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. Let me pause right there. Jesus is talking to the religious leaders of the time. And one of the things he's trying to help them understand, these, these dudes were all about the scriptures. Like, they were all about the scriptures. They memorized the scriptures. They would take scriptures, and none of this stuff is bad. Studying isn't bad. Memorizing isn't bad. And what I'm about to say isn't bad. None of it's bad. They would take scriptures, and they would, they would put them in, they would roll them up on little, little scrolls, and roll them up and put them in a little box, and they'd wear the scripture around their, around their head. Or they'd wear it on their arm. Just to keep... God's word close to them. These are great things. These are great things. The problem was they were stuck in that logos. They were stuck in just the strict text. And they could not get to the revelation of the word. And Jesus is trying to explain to them, listen, you search the scriptures, you study the scriptures, you're writing the scriptures down, you're putting them on your forehead, you're tattooing them on your back, you got a t-shirt with the scriptures, you're putting them on the wall of your building, like you've got the scripture part down, and you think that the more scripture you get, the more life you're going to have. But even Satan knows the scriptures, so you got to be careful with that. He says, but the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. I love this verse because it smacks me in the face every time. That when I read his word, it can't be about just getting it in. Right? It can't be about just getting it in. It's got to be, it's got to be about it changing me. It's got to be about finding life. It's got to be about Jesus. That every time I read this word, it always points to him. Always. We've got to accept his word like that. We've got to accept Christ. Won't you stand up with me today? I didn't put this in my notes, but that verse that I read earlier out of John chapter 6, 
where he says the spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I spoke to you are spirit and life. In that same passage, if you read that whole chapter, John chapter 6, it's crazy. Jesus, Jesus begins to tell people, he says, hey, if you want eternal life, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And everybody's like, gross. No. You know, like, they, they reject that. We don't want anything to do with that. You're weird. And the Bible says that in that moment, lots of people turned and walked away from Christ. Why? Because they were stuck in the Logos, right? They were stuck in just the words he said. I'm not eating your flesh and drinking your blood. But what he was saying is, you've got to accept me and my sacrifice. Like, they couldn't get the revelation side of it. And they walked away. So often in life, we get stuck. Sometimes just memorizing and knowing the scripture. But it never makes an impact in our hearts. It never changes us. Because we never see Jesus in it. But he's there the whole time. Once you close your eyes this morning, we're going we're gonna to pray and, and then we'll dismiss. There may be some of you out there today, maybe even online today, that you, you would say, like, like what we talked about, maybe you've played church, you've done the, you've done church, but you've not had a relationship with Jesus Christ. You're like the writer of the book of Hebrews, you're like that, that group of Jews that just had become apathetic, just going through the motions. And if that's you this morning, can I tell you that God loves you? Jesus loves you. His spirit is calling out to you today. He wants to draw you into a real relationship. He wants to push past the ritual and push past the religion and push past the traditions. And he wants your heart. He wants every part of you today. If that's you today and you say, man, I need to change. I need to turn from that kind of apathetic, cold lifestyle. And I need to serve Jesus for real. Like I need to give him everything I've got. If that's you, just slip your hand up. You can put it right back down. I just want to know who we're praying for today. Okay. Lord Jesus, I love you and I thank you for everybody in this room. I thank you for what you're doing in our lives. I thank you that you're calling us to a place of relationship. And one of those foundations is the, is the word of God. And God, I thank you that you are the word, that the word became flesh, that Jesus, when I read this word, when I read this word, I'm reading your life. You're speaking to me. So God, today I ask that you forgive us of our apathy. Forgive us, Father God, if we've gone through the motions and the rituals and and we've forgotten to find the rhema. We've forgotten to find the the revelation of who you are every time we read the scriptures. And so, so we just ask you today, Holy Spirit, to lead us and guide us through your word. Lead us and guide us through your word. Let this word become powerful and effective in our lives. Let this word come alive to us every time we crack it open. God, whenever we turn on our phones and we pull out our Bible reading plan and we hit the play button and we're listening to your word, we are consuming your word. God, don't let it become background noise. Don't let it become white noise. God, let it become you speaking to us. 
Maybe you need that today. I know I do. If you need that today, just slip your hand up and say, God, that's me today. That's me. I need your word to come alive in me. I need your word to be revealed to me. God, I'm going through some stuff today. My family's going through some stuff today, and I need a word from you. I need a revelation. I don't just need some text on a page. I don't just need a voice talking through my phone. I need a revelation of God through your word today. If that's you today, let's slip up our hands today. Let's just begin to ask him today to open up our eyes and open up our hearts. You pray. You don't need me to pray. You're a Christian just like me. So God, today we ask that you would open up our eyes and open up our hearts. Reveal your word to us today. Let your word come to life today. God, today I ask that you would speak to us. When we go home today, when we go to small group tonight or next week or whenever we're going to our small group, we ask God that your word would come alive. We ask that we would grow and mature and be ready to do whatever you've asked us to do. God, today we give you our hearts and we ask that you would plunge the sword of the word of God into our lives and divide my feelings from your spirit. God, don't let them become entangled. I don't want to live according to my emotions, God. I want to live according to your word. And God, any area of my life that's not founded on your word, that doesn't have your word as a foundation, whether it's my family or my business or my church, God, today I want to give you my life. I want to build my house on your words. So help me to do that. Help me to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.